individual uh, basis, I would, I would imagine. Um, but um, it's unbecoming to have been offensive and then act as if nothing's happened. I have some experience like that with with, with God brothers. <laughs> it's uh, I found it rather sometimes rather bizarre. Hmm. Um, but I don't run away from them or anything. I just kind of deal with it, and so um, you know, if you have some experience like that, then. Um, I would. There's a, there's no point in probably pointing anything out to them. They don't understand. They come to a festival generally. That's uh, good for them. I really don't have an answer to your question. <laughs> what other questions are there? Yeah. You know, in your, some of your recent classes you were speaking, like, for the, the goal of yoga is to capture the mind. And when the mind is controlled and captured, then the um, physical body follows. Wherever the, wherever the mind goes, the senses will follow. But also, uh, there is the idea that bhakti in the form of sadhana bhakti, First comes on one's senses. One is engaged in bhakti externally through the senses. Mind is also active, but um, not to the extent it is in the advanced So, when the senses are, are very much engaged in bhakti, then gradually the mind is purified and spiritualized. So, it seems that these are contradictory ideas. So, can you. Uh, yeah. There's external bhakti, you can say, with your, with the body and senses, and then that can give rise to internal bhakti or internal absorption. That's true. Once the internal absorption takes place, and the um, and the subtle body becomes 
consumed by the bhava, hmm, then what I was saying is after that, the body becomes fully spiritualized. So, so in sadhana bhakti, yes, you have to use the body to capture the mind. Hmm? You have to use the mind to capture the body too. It's a, it's a little bit of both, if you will. But it's true that if you're active in serving and so forth um, with the senses, then the mind will, will come around. Hmm? So, sadhana bhakti basically is... Is it means bhakti as action, but not as emotion. Hmm? So there's an emotive aspect to bhakti, but it doesn't really fully uh, kick in or play itself out until till bhava bhakti. So therefore, sadhana bhakti is sometimes defined as engaging in bhakti with the senses, hmm? with the body. Whereas in bhava bhakti, the emotional component of bhakti kicks in, and emo- the seed of emotion is the mind, manas. So you have the citta, uh, buddhi, manas, and hankar. Hankar is kind of the is, is identity. I have an identity, and in the context of my identity, I have a mind where desires, which is the seed of desires and feelings and thoughts, I like this or I don't like that. Uh, my identity, ego identity, has intelligence, which discriminates, and has awareness, chitta. Hmm? Right? This is the, the subtle body, these kind of four, four elements. I've said before, you know, you hear a sound, consciousness identifies, is aware of it. With the booty, we discriminate and say, it's the sound of a flute. And then the manas kicks in and says, I like the sound of the flute. Right? And the hunkar, of course, is, forms the identity that has the mind that likes it, that has the Moody that that determines what it is, understands it, and the consciousness that's aware of it in a general sense to begin with. So that um, um, yeah, the so the idea, of course, in um, you know you take. The rag bhakti comes from Yusard and Golok, right? They're the ragatmikas. They have this inborn, like I was saying the other night, anadi siddha samskars for serving Krishna. And so uh, we need those kind of samskars. They have them. That's what drives their their uh, their actions and so forth. So how do we get them? Well, those anadi siddha samskars, they come through sadhusanga, and they meet head-on with our material samskars, which are embedded in our citta since uh, for millions and millions of countless births of thoughts and experiences, and they're there. They're either active or they're dormant. So 
you know, we started with rag bhakti, and then we're gonna now we're gonna start to practice it. <laughs> and you're like, whoa! You got all these millions and zillions of countless lifetimes of samskaras to dissolve, right? Replace with bhakti samskaras. It's good to put it in perspective. Hmm? <laughs> where what's the ideal? And it's easy to if you speak about it like this. It's easy to understand where you are on the. On the spectrum, Mahaprabhu advocated for misankirtan, cheta darpana marjana would be the first stage. So it's, it's not just like a quick rinse. <laughs> the cleansing is, is work is is considerable. Hmm? It's a mountain of, of, of ignorance and misconception and tendencies and so forth hmm? embedded in, in, in the jitta. So... Uh, Basically, you know, we, we do a reverse out process as to what gave rise to the gives rise to the material ego, and we use our we have an ego that's now informed by spiritually fortified booty, hearing from the scriptures and sadhus and so forth, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, so we 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 engage. In, in bhakti, and at some point, we we like it, and we get in a seat of manas, and comes the mode of life, right? And of course, uh, the, now what's happening is the this this ego is now in. Informed by, by I used to say, a spiritually fortified intelligence. The idea is that these, you do the acts of sadhana bhakti, and the chitta becomes cleared, and then the image of the self appears on the clear chitta. So then the hunkar identifies with that picture. So you get a spiritual, spiritualized ego, and what the what what we experience is not only the atma, but now the prospect of the self hmm, as a result of bhakti to follow one of one of the ragatmikas. So this this all is how it how it takes place all within the subtle body, if you will. So so in bhava, this this is this has taken place, and so the emotive aspect of bhakti is kicked in and the manas there there's desires to serve Krishna there's feeling for Krishna emotion bhava hmm, ecstasy and that of course yes has come about by again sometimes sadhana bhakti as opposed to bhava bhakti is described as engaging in bhakti with the senses so there is an active and an emotive aspect of bhakti so bhakti comes on our senses and purifies the senses and the and in the context of doing that of course you're trying to capture the mind if you will and uh, and so forth at any rate the uh, the antakarna becomes Um, like a like an iron rod stuck in the fire, 
it's it becomes spiritualized. But as the the subtle body becomes spiritualized, like that iron rod stuck in the fire, and you pull it out, and then you can set other things on fire with it because it's acting like fire, right? And now there's a there's a cultivation going on in Baba Bhakti. You're cultivating the emotion, right? And there are different emotional ingredients that, uh, ecstatic ingredients that combine with the dominant emotion of I am the friend of Krishna, I am the servant of Radha, for example, um, um, that uh, cause the Baba to ascend to, to, to rasa, with, with the maturity of the stai bhav. There's the babankur, the sprout of the stai bhav, and then there's the culture of it that becomes mature. Hmm? And at that point, the stai bhav is, 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 is synonymous with rasa. It's accompanied by the other ingredients and so forth. So, the point I was making is at that time hmm, that we go back to the body and the sadhakadeya now has become fully spiritualized. Hmm? And so we have examples like Dhruva Maharaj said he went into the Vaikuntha in this very same body. Mm-hmm. Examples like this. So it's a, what do we call it, like a trans... Transubstantiation. The substance becomes the, wa- the water, water and the, the, the bread and the wine and becomes the Jesus. Something like that. <laughs> So the material body becomes spiritualized. Hmm? So the point being that the perfection then of the sadhaka, you have to use the sadhaka deya in such a way as that, that, that the, that the uh, ingressive bhav will come and then you do bhakti with emotion and then, so it's body, mind, mind, body. Something like the kind of like that kind of uh, succession. Um, Yes, because in the beginning it's difficult for the devotees to control the mind, sit, just think of Krishna. So we have them become active, and Archan, for example, is a very active service. And all of the bodily things that you do for yourself, uh, now you're doing for Krishna, along with yours. And so uh, it's very consuming, and it should bring the mind around. So there is that idea. External service results in internal service, results in making the outside non-different from the inside. So the idea being, again, that that the purification of the subtle body is easier <laughs> than the full, takes less time than the purification of the gross body. <laughs> Whereas the subtle body, the, the difference between subtle and gross matter is, is the difference in sattva, really. Mm-hmm. In the subtle body, there's, it's more, it's more constituted of sattva. So, it's really, really the difference. It's only still the three modes, mm-hmm. different configuration and so forth. Mm-hmm. But as it, the, the more, that's why, again, I mean, the more, the uh, uh, higher you go, so to speak, on the material ladder up to the, the chitta. Consciousness is like, is, is, is self-luminous. And chitta is not. But it can be illuminated. It has the power to reflect. It's like like a light. 
and there's something that can reflect light, like some metal or something like that. So when you cast the lights, light on the metal, the metal shoots light back, and you can kind of light something with the metal, right? So the chitta is like that. Atman in material life just is the witness, and then the chitta takes over, does everything. Well, it doesn't do it, along with the buddhi and the manas. And it's one composite in one sense. Sometimes explain that it, it's the subtle body is the chitta, and buddhi is an aspect of it, manas is an aspect of it, hunkar is an aspect of it. Now it's talked about in, in different ways, in different texts and so forth, but that's the basic idea. So to capture that, to spiritualize that, you could say it's it's easier than the gross body, <laughs> which is like uh, that's an article of an article of faith. We say right. Hmm. You see a fully spiritualized uh, so-called physical body that that dies. Right. So it's it's. A, but but there are the point being that there are examples in the scripture. Mahaprabhu said, "At the time when you get initiated, then you get a you get a chidanandamoy body, a body that's not not material anymore. Well, that would imply that the initiation is something that takes some time to complete. Hmm. When the sambandagyan is complete and realized, and then your bhakti is fully informed, it means you're doing bhava bhakti." Mm-hmm. And that will, uh, that will in time uh, turn into Prem. Bob is, is a ray of the son of Prem, so you cultivate it. So that help? Yeah. What else? I mean, I generally just, you know, treat them like whatever. And I just think, oh, people are so insensitive. How could they be like that? I don't get mad at them. I don't shut the door to them. I don't turn them away. I, but it doesn't warm me over. So you should act in the same way. Hmm. Doesn't he know that he or she was very offensive? And You'd think they would, like you say, they come back like Jagai and Madai very humbly. But that doesn't happen all the time, does it? Yes. Um, my book kind of talks on, I mean, it's like kind of theoretical uh, question perhaps, but uh, with regards to the desire to survive, like let's say there is huge uh, uh, Disaster, not like material disaster, and we are uh, facing uh, like you either start hunting or there's nothing else to eat. And some devotees say like, "Oh, why would I want to survive at the cost of other living entities?" While someone else might think, "Oh, because the human body is more important." Hate to say it, wouldn't be very popular, perhaps, but than other bodies. Hmm more important to keep the human body alive if the human body is properly used for what it, as, as it should be. Hmm? And uh, you make the same kind of determinations between insects and, and plants and animals. Right? 
you would be much less likely to kill a um, mapache than you would an ant, right? So, the human body is 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 within the world. It's the most important body. It can do the most for everybody. It can actually help the most, serve the most. Hmm. If it's properly understood, therefore we don't uh, consider. Um, one to be human just because they have two legs. There's the famous Bhagavatam statement, Dvi Pada Pashu. Dvi Pada Pashu. Two-legged animal. <laughs> two-legged animal. It's got two legs, but living in the consciousness of an animal. <laughs> so that's a dangerous species. They should be shot on sight. <laughs> Open, open hunting season for them. But otherwise, a real human being is the caretaker of the world. Hmm. And he's a god in the world, of sense. Heck, he can make discriminations. This one has to go. This one can stay. For the sake of the whole. Hmm. So, um, therefore, we find great devotees in circumstances, or, or that idea is there. There are probably examples in, in in the texts of, of such, and there are in statements like that hmm, to survive. Survive for what? You know, again, what are you living for? Humans are supposed to be living for the good of others. They have a precious gift. Yatan has the gift of a human body. There's so much freedom that comes with it, and with freedom comes what? Responsibility. Exactly, responsibility. So the responsible people, they, 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 it's like an army. Yeah. If the general gets killed, the whole army goes down. Right? If you chop the head off, it's finished. You lose a finger, lose a toe, lose an arm and a leg. Still the body, the military body, could go on and perhaps be successful. If you cut off his head, then... So, he has more freedom because he's more responsible. I cut you off, but does that help to answer your question? Yeah, you have more. Yeah. What else? I was reading in the Bhagavad Gita, and you mentioned in the commentary just in passing Krishna's six opulences, and one of them, of course, is um, renunciation. And so I was thinking about how we are to think of Krishna as a renunciate, and so I was wondering if, um, you know, our renunciation is to give up what's not favorable to bhakti and accept what is favorable or what's pleasing to Krishna or what's not pleasing to Krishna. So I was wondering if Krishna's renunciation is to um, give up what's not pleasing to the devotees and accept what's pleasing to their good for the devotees. (laughs) And if so, then I was wondering um, if anything not favorable to bhakti or to the devotees exists in an enduring sense, in an eternal sense. If anything what? Anything not favorable to the devotees exists in an eternal sense. 
something that might not be favorable to devotees. Well, first of all, you're talking about renunciation as a way, not as something that you own, that, that it's, it's an opulence of yourself. Hmm? Typically, renunciation is not a way in bhakti, but there is the idea of the yukta bhairagya, which is, as you're saying, renunciation in the context of loving Krishna, in the culture of loving Krishna. So in the culture of loving Krishna, if there are things that are unfavorable for loving Krishna, we give them up. If there are things that are favorable, we say we, we, we accept them, regardless of how they may appear to our minds or senses, which creates another standard of, of duality above the reading of the mind and the senses of what's good and what's bad. Hmm? But that's a culture. That's a, that's a practice. So when we say that Krishna possesses renunciation, we're not talking about that he's culturing something, practicing something. Hmm. But it is hard to come up with an example of Krishna's renunciation. Of course, it's fully manifest in, in Gaur Krishna. So we can say that the Krishna is has um, uh, in in pursuit of the experience of Radha's love, he's given up his opulence. Hmm? He's given up uh, everything for that and become a sannyasi. Hmm? So here's an example. In the height of Krishna Leela, hmm? the man who has everything, the center, and gives it all up, to uh, serve the love of Radha and try to experience it, and of course he's, he's, his, his, his renunciation is extraordinary. In Gorlila, there are, there are nine roots to the metaphorical tree of love of God that Chaitanya is the, is the gardener of, the trunk of. The devotees are the branches, and the fruits are love of God. And the roots are these Keshava Bharati. Uh, Brahmananda Bharati, Keshava Puri, um, Ishwat Puri, all these sannyasis, are nine of them. Hmm. They were older, heavy guys like Brahmananda Bharati, described as wearing a deer skin. And Mahaprabhu didn't, didn't like that. That's another story, but, but they were all older, heavy, heavy renunciate figures. And Chaitanya Dev was 25 years old, 24. He took sannyas, 25, 26, 27. They knew him, and his standard of his renunciation made them feel like enjoyers. <laughs> they felt ashamed of themselves. And so the, the full manifestation of Krishna's renunciation, if you will, in an overt sense, appears in Gorlila. Otherwise, I think, in general, the idea is that he's self-satisfied. Hmm. He doesn't need anything. Hmm. Um, that said, he doesn't need anything. He said, well, he needs bhakti, but bhakti is he part of him. See, Bhakti is his swarup shakti. Bhakti is not separate from him. It's, we call it swarup shakti. It's, this, it's like this, it's the shakti of his nature. And we can compare that to Maya Shakti, it's external. The, the Tatasta Shakti, it emanates from a ma- from the Mahasankarshan and Vaikuntha or the Paramatma Mahavishnu in this world who are expansions of himself. It's not emanating from him 
directly, hmm? but from an expansion of himself. Hmm? Um, so the Swarupa, so I've said before, the Shaktis of, of, of Krishna are one with him and different from him. Excuse me, but the Maya Shakti is more different than it is one. And on the other end of the spectrum, the Sarup Shakti is more one than it is different. The Sarup Shakti and the Maya Shakti are related like an object and its shadow. The Tasta Shakti is a little different, and it can live in the shadow or it can live, let's call it, in the light. So there's the light and there's the shadow. Um, it does better in the light because it's a spark of light. But the point I'm making anyway is that when we say that Krishna doesn't need anything, it doesn't mean that he doesn't need bhakti because bhakti is like, like part of him. He doesn't need... He's complete in himself. But himself includes Radha. He is Radha Krishna Pranai. So Radha is a transformation of of, uh, of Pranay, hmm. of, 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 of love of Krishna. She is a, the Shakti of Krishna transformed and appearing as, as love of Krishna. So that Subhakti is in within him. Hmm. Just like in sugar there is sweetness. Hmm. But the sugar can't taste itself. It's sweet, but it can't taste itself. So imagine if the sugar said, man, I'd like to... Everybody says I'm sweet, and I see what I do to people when they taste me. I know I'm sweet, but I don't taste my own sweetness. So let me take my sweetness and manifest it. Hmm. As, as, as another aspect of myself, hmm. I may interact with it. Hmm. This is Radha and Krishna, something like that. The Krishna tasting the sweetness of himself, and it's to some extent a form of Radha. So, so the enjoyer that he is, if you will, and certainly he is the supreme enjoyer, does not make much room for him to be in a leela context, overtly a renunciate, right? Hmm. But he does become overtly a beggar for Radha's love. That's true. He becomes a beggar for her love. And that is the extension of his leela. Otherwise, that's all very beautiful and, and, and charming. But beyond that, from an Aishvarya point of view, which is what you're talking about, one of the opulences of Bhagwan that is renounced because he doesn't need anything. He's complete in himself. He never goes outside of himself for happiness. He doesn't drive happiness from the Maya Shakti, like we try to. He doesn't derive happiness from us, which are who are a unit of happiness. We are the object of love or the happiness of this world. Matter is not the happiness. We are the happiness. As I've said many times, we extend ourselves into things and then we think those things are making us happy only because we've extended ourselves into them and we think they're mine and 
now they're making me happy, but it's me that's making me happy, right? But that happiness that I am, that Ananda, is is so minimal. What can it do for Krishna? <laughs> hmm? How can it make him happy? Hmm? It's like, you know, how can a candle light the sun? Right? It's light. Over the candle to the sun, you know. So, so the shadow does nothing. In fact, the sun just, just dispels the shadow. It doesn't even exist. In its presence where there's light, there's no darkness. But the candle can't light the sun. But the sun is inherent in the sun. as its rays, its light, right? That's its shakti. So you have the sun and its rays. It's luminosity. This is Krishna and his Sarup Shakti. So they're really, you can't have moon without moonlight, right? So moonlight, in this example, is the Sarup Shakti. And moon is Krishna. Sun, sunlight. So he stays within himself. That's why if we want to have a relationship with Krishna, we have to get bhakti. Because he, his orbit is within the influence of bhakti. That's his orb. That's how where he moves, not outside of that. What's to be had for him outside of that? So he remains within himself. He's atmaram. So a self-satisfied person is renounced, right? Fully renounced. Don't need anything. If you're not renounced, you need something. So he doesn't need anything. When bhakti comes, makes ingress into the, the tatasta jiva, then the tatasta jiva can function in, 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 within the orbit of Krishna and give pleasure to Krishna and so forth. Hmm. So that's how to understand his renunciation. As far as, what was the last part? Is there anything that's not favorable for devotees? For no, I, I just... Doesn't apply. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Just a short follow-up on this question. I heard sometimes in some classes that example of Krishna's renunciation is given as when he played the flute in the forest of Vrindavan and all the gopis came in the night to meet him. So when Krishna first, he just told them, go away to your houses. I, I was just practicing or something. So he sends them, obviously, this is given as an example of his renunciation that even though all the gopis came to have Dilas with him, still he was not interested. <laughs> what do you mean? He, what do you mean he wasn't interested? <laughs> I would think that would be a gross misreading of the text. Hmm. Now, when Krishna tells them not why they're here, he, he's testing them. He asks them questions from the jnana and the dharma perspective. Is there bhakti covered by jnana? Is there bhakti covered by karma? No. Okay. Then, come in. More like that. Uh, Krishna's played the flute for them to come. If he's renounced, why he played the flute? Why he called them? He wants them to come. Earlier, he played the flute and all the gopis came, except for Radha. So he sent them all back. Hmm. But what was his condition? 
He had to lean on Madhumangal. He couldn't walk. His legs were wobbling. She didn't come. What will I do? Then the news came. She's passed out over here. She heard the flute, and she passed out. Then he's brought there by Purnamasi to Vrinda, practically being carried by Madhumangal. And Radharani is dying in a coma. So Vrinda says, you've got to touch her, then she'll come to consciousness. He said, I'm Brahmachari. Everybody, no way. If you finally get touching a lady. <laughs> it's a beautiful story. Eventually, I, th- I think he, he touches her with his toe or something like that. Then she comes to life, then he passes out. So he is pretty much uh, wants the gopis. <laughs> he's not renounced from the, from from his Swarup Shakti. No, he's renounced from the material world. It has a place there. What what is the place of renunciation in the spiritual world? What will you renounce in the spiritual world? Hmm. Renunciation is detachment from material attachment. And our detachment from material things comes from cultivating attachment to Krishna. So we, the gopis were attached to Krishna. Krishna was attached to the gopis, as it should be. It's nothing to be renounced from. Krishna can't live without the gopis. That's a fact. Yes? Can you speak something about how renunciation and compassion for others are connected? Yes, they're very much connected because um, without renunciation, then we're living in attachment um, to things, people, and so forth. And so... If we're attached to a person, it means that we unconsciously perhaps see them as objects that can make me whole. Because when I'm attached to material things, I cannot experience the wholeness that I am. Hmm? I've lost sight of that. I'm following the picture that's appearing on my chitta of the world and its impressions. So I've got an identity that's worldly and it's an, it's it's empty. Hmm? Right? I'm Sat Chit Ananda, little chit, little Ananda, and I'm Sat and I don't know that. So in material life I try to become full and derive happiness by attachment to things, identifying with things, right? Mm-hmm. But um, So when I do that, I'm using the things and people to fulfill myself. So I'm not loving them, I'm taking from them. You follow? I'm taking, and love is about giving. So, which is I'm taking, I'm not giving. And I don't have the clear picture. So, 
what renunciation is about is stepping away back from my attachments through knowledge by which I see a bigger picture. Hmm. So I've given an example before. The tiger sees the young young lady and loves her. The young boy sees the young lady, young man, and, and loves her. And the sage, the renunciate, let's say, the devotee, sees the young lady and loves her. The tiger would love to eat her. The young man would love to run off with her. Hmm? Each of those is a kind of taking, more obvious perhaps in the tiger's case, but same with the young boy hmm? on a different level. But the sage has nothing to take, right? He has a different picture, so he or she can love and give wisdom, example. Hmm? Has nothing to gain from from that person, everything to give. So by stepping back, so to speak, which is what I mean by renunciation, you come to this objective perspective rather than this subjective perspective where you're involved, you're attached. Hmm? You can't see it clearly. Let's say you're in a relationship and it's bad for you, but you can't see it. As bad as it is, you've become dependent on the person in some way and you're getting something from it. Somebody has to come in and say, this is bad for you, this is bad for you. Get out of that relationship. They can see the bigger picture. But you can't see it because you're attached to it. Hmm. Mother may spoil her son because she's attached to him. Hmm. And it, it, it may look like love, but it may turn out to be very bad for him. Hmm. So, so renunciation is really about, this is the first step in loving people, in loving others. Even while it's a step back, from what appears to be loving people, because what appears to be loving people is, 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 is not what it appears to be. It's a taking. So when I step back with wisdom, then in bhakti, of course, we step back in to the world and we can interact with everyone and so forth from a different vantage point. And we see everyone in relation to Krishna and we relate to everyone accordingly, treat them accordingly, um, does that help? Yeah. Yeah. So renunciation in the context of Bach is kind of an interim, interim step. Hmm. Step back, look at the world, see it from a different angle of vision, and then jump back in. Vishvam Purnam Sukhayate. says the world is an abode of happiness. Hmm. That's from a very complete devotional um, bhakti perspective. All right, we'll stop there. Shishidaji Gopal ki jai. Gaur Bhakti Brinda ki jai. Gaur Premanandi. Gaur Premanandi.